Welcome to the Diabetes Canada Healthcare Huddle, a podcast that invites healthcare professionals to listen in on the discussion as we explore a diabetes-related topic. Each episode, we will present a case study, then have a conversation with an expert about the clinical challenge. Finally, we will revisit the case and see how we can apply our new knowledge and tools. My name is Dr. Sarah Stafford. I'm an endocrinologist in Surrey, BC, and I'm joined by my colleague, Gail McNeil, who's a diabetes educator and clinical nurse specialist from Toronto. Thank you very much for joining us today. And we have a wonderful guest on the podcast, Dr. Razel Schulman. She is a pediatric endocrinologist at the Hospital for Sick Children and an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Toronto. She is a scientist in the Child Health and Evaluative Sciences Program at the Sick Kids Research Institute and an adjunct scientist at ICES. Her research program is focused on developing and evaluating health services interventions to improve health outcomes and the quality of care for youth living with diabetes. And one area of focus is transition to adult care, which is the topic of our conversation today. Welcome, Dr. Schulman. Thanks so much for having me. So Rizal, I think this is a really important topic. I deal with this every day in my clinical practice. I'm an adult endocrinologist, um, but I very often have individuals who are transitioning from pediatric care. And I definitely recognize that that transition can be challenging. And Gail, who is here with us today, I'm sure you see this as well in your educator role. Oh, Sarah, ditto. It's so difficult with this transition. And I'm thinking of a particular patient. I always go back to the actual patient themselves and I'll, her name, I'll call her Jenna, but she was 17 when we first met her and we were at the pediatric center because they were having a transition day. And so when she was 18, she came with her mother with permission, because of course in the adult center, we have to have permission, right? From the youth to have the, the parent there. And it was a very interesting interaction between the mother and Jenna. You could tell there was a tension and that Jenna was trying to be independent and it, it was just a tension there. So we had Jenna coming back in about three months um, with that, not just by herself. And of course she didn't come to the appointment. Okay. And so we call and try to follow up, but now we feel like we're, we're bothering her type thing. And the next time we saw Jenna, it was in, she was in diabetic ketoacidosis in the hospital. So somehow I really felt that we did not get the, it did not address the issues that Jenna was having in the adult center. We, we failed her somehow in that transition. We lost her emotionally and we actually lost her physically. So Dr. Shulman, if you can help us in any ideas and tips for the educators in this transition period, we find it very challenging going from the pediatric centers to the adult centers. <laughs> So unfortunately, this sounds so familiar. This is a really common scenario. And, you know, I think it stems from the challenges that these young people have at this time in their lives. Um, you know, they're just undergoing so many changes in different aspects of their lives. They're moving from high school to college or university or into the workforce. Their, their relationships with their friends, their peers, their family, their caregivers, their parents are all really changing at this time. Um, you know, they're taking on more economic responsibilities um, and just the demands, I think, that are placed on people um, in all these years, but also by their diabetes providers and healthcare providers in general. Generally, um, really just are a lot. And I think there's a developmental 
um, mismatch at this time in life of what people are able to take on um, and what is being demanded of them. And diabetes self-care is so challenging for people at any stage of life, but I think especially when you layer on all these additional challenges for people in this transition age, it becomes even more difficult. And I guess it's in part an explanation for why we see these negative health outcomes that you're talking about. So having gaps in, in the time between diabetes appointments um, and um, acute diabetes complications like diabetic ketoacidosis, like your patient Jenna, unfortunately had. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is absolutely the story I see as well. We'll see that first appointment may be successful because so much effort is made in making sure people attend that first appointment, but often the parents are along for that first appointment as well. And as we try to establish that relationship directly with the person living with diabetes and, and try to, you know, make them the driver of their care, um, that's really challenging. And, and you're right, they often go missing um, and we try to chase them down and they don't attend appointment. And so eventually they don't show up for a while. And unfortunately, um, exactly that scenario is common. They kind of go missing until they reach a, a crisis. And that crisis might be diabetic ketoacidosis, they're in the hospital or severe hypoglycemia. I do diabetes and pregnancy as well. So come sometimes they come back into the fold when they're pregnant um, and, and re-engage with that care. So, you know, there's lots of challenges in that transition period as well. Um, and is there any evidence about what we can do for transition to help with that first step? What can we do? What resources are available to help transition from pediatric to adult care? So it's a great question, and there have been lots and lots of studies that have been published on um, transition interventions, and there's even been systematic reviews of these interventions. Um, and I think what we've learned is that they're all very different, and the context in which that they've been implemented are very different. Um, and so it makes it really hard to identify specific key active ingredients. Um, that are associated with the most effective transitions. So, you know, I think where does that leave us as providers of transition care? It really leaves us with this gap and not really knowing what's the best way um, to provide transition care. And we've actually done some surveys in Ontario um, of the pediatric centers to ask them about how they provide transition care. And we see a lot of heterogeneity, like there really isn't any one thing that everybody's doing. Um, and I think that's a reflection of the fact that there really isn't anything that we know that works the best. So everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And some people, some centers don't even have a, a structured um, transition approach or program um, in their centers. Um, so, you know, I think what I've done um, in thinking about this a lot is looked to what people have done in terms of studying what is it that adolescents really want out of transition care? How would they like to receive their transition care? Um, and there are a few really nice studies that um, did some qualitative research and um, did some focus groups and some interviews with adolescents. And a few of the things that they found was that adolescents really want a personalized transition experience. They don't want a one size fits all. So I think we need to sort of meet people where they're at and 
talk about the topics that are interesting to them and that they really want to learn more about and also be flexible about the way in which we deliver that education and preparation. So some people really want to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one with their educator provider and other people would rather just receive a link to a website, for example. So I think we really need to be flexible and personalize our approach to these things. Um, the other thing that adolescents have said is that they really want um, providers to recognize um, how they're experiencing diabetes stigma in their lives and to recognize that that's a really important issue to address and at least ask about. Um, they also have said that they really want their providers to help connect them to social support networks in their communities, whether that be peer or community groups. Um, people reported that that was really important to them. Um, and also to help that or to recognize how diabetes may be self-limiting um, in their lives and how it may be a barrier um, and, and help them to overcome and to, to work on some of those things. Yeah, and, I, and those are just excellent points because I, I think in the end, you know, adolescents are all individuals. Um, and also I think going through a period of individualization, right? Trying to really become unique and express themselves. And, and so this is yet another aspect where we have to respect that. Um, what about the role of virtual medicine? It comes to mind, you know, I use a lot more virtual medicine now than I did before the pandemic. And I particularly think for our younger patients who are working or maybe adolescents, right, who are in school, um, do they want to be more engaged in virtual care? So I think it's a really important point and something that, you know, we're all experiencing this rapid shift since um, since the COVID pandemic. Um, I think there are certainly lots of benef potential benefits of providing transition care virtually. Um, and actually, there, there, been a, there was a study that was done um, in the U.S. of um, group, virtual group transition education sessions for young adults. And um, the feedback that they got about those is that the, the people who participated in them really, really um, had high satisfaction with those um, sessions and really liked them. Um, and they also had better attendance. Um, so I think especially for people, as you said, who find it hard to come to clinic in person, it's a great way to try to engage them. Um, you know, I think as we all recognize, there are some downsides to virtual care and that for some people, it's really, really hard to establish a good relationship and have, um, you know, to, to build a new relationship, especially if it's the first few times that you've met somebody. Um, and the other thing I find sometimes a challenge with virtual care is when you're trying to have sensitive conversations and you really need to be in a private space. That's sometimes hard, especially people, you know, sometimes take these virtual calls from very public places. But even if they're at home, you don't know who else is in the room and, and people, you know, so I think just if you're having those conversations to make sure that you ask the, the patient um, on the other end, are they in a place that's private that they feel comfortable talking about sensitive issues. Yeah, and that's a great point. I'm thinking about the number of times I've had uh, virtual medicine appointments with people in the grocery checkout lineup. Uh, so that's a, a really important thing to consider. And I definitely hear you on that establishing rapport. Um, those patients that I've known for many years, virtual medicine can be very, very successful, but definitely in this transition where we're trying to build a relationship of trust, um, trying to establish that in person. So then what do we do with the patient, just exactly like Gail talked about, they've come to that first transition transition appointment. 
and then they go missing and your office is called and we've rescheduled them, but they didn't show up and then we can't reach them. What do you think we do in that situation or, or where do we go wrong? So I'm on the other end of things, but I certainly can appreciate those challenges. Um, and, you know, I think that it really, I guess, from my perspective, it stems to, you know, how have we approached this whole process of transition? And it really is a process. And I think it's really about starting very, very early. Um, so, you know, some of the transition practice guidelines talk about even starting the discussion about transition to adult care, even as young as 12 or 14, so that you have lots and lots of time to work with the individual and their caregivers at gradually shifting some of that responsibility. Um, so by the time they actually make that transfer and that leap, that they really feel very ready and responsible. They know how to contact the clinic. I mean, I, we, when we've done a survey of our um, adolescents at their final um, pediatric diabetes visit, and many of them reported, you know, whether they had received the name and contact for their adult provider or not, but reported not even getting it. So I think um, some adolescents or young adults they, you know, they really struggle in that process of booking appointments, or they realize at the last minute that they have an exam, or that they have another commitment, and they aren't able to attend. Um, and they either forget to call to reschedule, or they just don't. Um, and that's really part, I think, of the transition preparation um, that falls under the category of like health care system navigation. And I think that's something that, you know, us on the pediatric end, but also on the receiving adult end, I think we probably should make sure that we prioritize and focus. And the things that we take for granted and think should be simple, like remembering to attend appointments or rescheduling and that they, you know, don't work. Um, those are things that don't come as naturally, I think, to people in, in this age group. Yeah, and those are great points. And, and are there any kind of ongoing research projects that you have looking at that transition process and how we can improve that process or the outcomes? So I'm so glad you asked. We do. We actually, um, you know, to address some of the knowledge gaps that we've just been talking about, um, we, we know that um, adolescents and young adults interact with text messages quite a bit and lots of studies that have um, used text messaging as a way to deliver transition education or preparation have found that people engage and um, and, uh, you know, respond to text messages. So what we did is in the first phase of our project, which we call keeping in touch or kit for short, is we co-designed a text message based intervention um, to help support young people as they're moving from pediatric to adult diabetes care. Um, and we're now testing it in a randomized control trial in um, six different centers in Ontario and Quebec. And what our kit intervention does, it has like three main features. One is personalized education. So so um, we ask people when they enroll in the study to complete a transition readiness questionnaire. And then based on their responses, um, Kit will deliver topics that they report having lower confidence about. Um, and also we ask them which topics they're interested in learning about. Um, and with that, we also did an environmental scan to identify um, online transition resources. And many of our text messages that we deliver have links to those trusted um, websites. Um, the kit also is able to send people reminders about upcoming diabetes appointments that they've reported to kit that they have in their schedules. Um, and we also have a 
a question and answer feature. So people are able to type in questions and Kit will recognize keywords in their questions and then deliver responses uh, that our research team has created um, in response to their questions. And you know, that's just a great um, example of meeting people where they're at. Right. So adolescents absolutely communicating by text message using their phone for really most of that organizing and planning. So taking advantage of that technology, um, I think, is really wise. Um, now, Gail, now that we've had this conversation about transition, um, any ideas on how we can help in this really challenging phase of diabetes care? That, that was great. I picked up some really good pointers in this one. I really like the way you talked about the developmental mismatch and that they're supposed to be the drivers, but they're not ready to be at this point in time. So here we are expecting them to just take on and take the wheel and that's not going to happen. And I love when you did this survey looking at what is it adolescents really want. And I think you're right. Sometimes in the adult center, we think we know what needs to get done instead of what they want. And we don't match that together. And I think the personalized care is so very, very important. I heard you very clearly, we need to be innovative in our care and flexible, okay? And the stigma, yes, the stigma. I've heard this before. And I think that as adult centers, we should be addressing that one, a little bit more importance in that area. And I love the idea about the group transition in the virtual medium. I think that's something that as adult centers, we could definitely take a look and work with that one. And obviously respect where the person's at, as Sarah said, and you've said, Dr. Shulman, expect where they're at and look at their priorities, not what we think should get done, but their priorities. And I, I, I love the text messaging. Of course, that's the way they're communicating. We have to find the way that they want to communicate and do that. And of course, I'm in love with that reminder idea in the text messages. Okay, <laughs> so maybe that's how we can actually connect with them uh, more so than the emails and, and everything else on the phone. But using the way they communicate and using it on their terms and respecting what they want and, and setting up that personal relationship, I think is so important. So thank you. We've I've taken away a lot of information and a lot of tip and tips for the educators. <laughs> Thank you so much, Razel, for joining us here today. It's just a wonderful conversation. And I, I think that there'll also be an opportunity if people want to learn more about this topic, uh, that you have an upcoming webinar with this uh, topic for Diabetes Canada as well. Thanks so much. Please help us improve our future podcasts by filling out the survey in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today. If you have questions about the episode or about becoming a member of the Diabetes Canada professional section, please email professional.membership at diabetes.ca. Special thanks to Adam Humphreys for providing the music for today's podcast.